Welcome to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And we have on today, Polo Aristoy. Now, Polo has a really unique background in both B2C and B2B. Polo, you've, you were actually an analyst and you consulted with uh, B2C and B2B companies yep. from Procter & Gamble on when you were at Nielsen. You've been the CMO of a professional uh, soccer team. Um, you're uh, advising the soccer federation right now. Um, you've worked with fintech, credit clouds, the B2B mm-hmm. world. So you've got this really interesting background, which leads yeah. to some pretty interesting insights. But Indeed. before we get into that, tell us just a little bit more about your background and what you've done um, before we kind of jump into the conversation here. Yeah, thank you for having me, Steve. Um, and you're not you're not wrong. I've uh, it's been an interesting career so far. It's uh, not necessarily all by design. Uh, it's been a little bit at times by opportunities that come up. Uh, at times, um, you know, M and A and acquisition from where I sit and uh, the companies that I work with. Um, and yeah, indeed, I started as, a, as an analyst and consultant at first with Procter and Gamble and, and uh, Nielsen. And then I moved into the media world uh, and entertainment, working for uh, some big players there, ESPN, DirecTV. And then more recently, like you said, I've, uh, I've dedicated my more recent years, especially since COVID, working with smaller and early stage companies, uh, most of them B2B, and advising them on setting up a marketing roadmap. So uh, it's been colorful. I would say that um, it challenges me in a couple of different ways. On the one hand, because everything is contextual and you have to be constantly switching from context um, in, depending on the vertical that you're working in. Uh, but at the same time, it's a, I think of it as an advantage uh, because often I will find that I will bring a learning from either a category, a company, or a, a, just a different space. And if I can make sense of it and tell that story, uh, often it can resonate and impact the way the company is looking at something. So best practices, so to speak, and knowledge sharing is um, it's now turned out to be uh, a positive for me. So um, it's been interesting. Well, you know, you and I, when we've been talking, um, there's there's similarities in how to approach B2C and B2B. But you talked about how B2B is much more complex than B2C. And and therefore, it actually accentuates some of the things that that we kind of have. And we hold this true and dear in the B2C world in terms of how we do marketing. But explain a little bit more, if you can, about your perspective on those complexities for B2B marketers, what that means. We're talking overall, the theme here is why CMOs need a little bit more B2C in their B2B, right? Correct. But start us out with that kind of that that complexity notion that you have. Well, and I think you have touched on this uh, in recent episodes of your podcast, which is the life of a CMO and the shelf life, the span of, of the tenure of a CMO has, is getting shorter. And uh, in, a, in a big way, it's because the expectations uh, from the CMO position uh, continue to increase. But then the definition of what we expect from that CMO position for marketing it's also slightly vastly different between um, slightly different between uh, B2C and B2B. So in the case of B2B, uh, there is a catch-all that the CMO and marketing uh, sort of have to, are expected to play out. So it's not uncommon on the B2B side from a marketing perspective to be 
very task oriented. So, um, you know, how's our website doing? What are, you know, what is the data telling us? Um, we need a YouTube. Uh, somebody says, oh, the competition is doing this other thing. So you're constantly working behind tasks. And really, instead of being very strategic in your approach, you're really just all the time going full speed, trying to meet those tasks and, uh, and stay, you know, stay above water. Uh, right. So that makes it a very utilitarian approach to marketing. Um, and it really impacts the brand, I think. Um, so that's one thing that's impacting, uh, you know, CMOs and marketing within the B2B space. I think, um, I think that from the set needs to be understood and aligned internally. Um, you know, this, this decision sits with the CEO or the founder. The CEO figure has to understand and has to be very clear on their expectations of what marketing needs to do in their company. Um, and again, I think the definition of that in B2B is a lot more varied and a lot more up to, you know, um, up for grabs, so to speak, than B2C. Um, like I told you at some point, I think that in B2C, marketing has a big seat at the table. Uh, and in B2B, that table is shared with a lot more players, right? And sometimes with bigger seats in the name of sales, uh, success, product marketing. So it's a more diluted conversation in B2B that mm -hmm. makes it a much more uh, undefined, but at the same time, very um, uh, the expectations are, are really high with, with, with marketing. Uh, so it, it makes it a very complex proposition in B2B and a little bit more tasking than it is in B2C where uh, the expectation and the position of marketing is a lot more um, clear and understood. I think that's one fundamental difference between the two, between the two uh, business models. Yeah, in B2C world, marketing is king, right? You know, there, it's it's much more short decision-making processes. There's not big buying groups, right? There's yeah. impulse purchases, you know? So the stimulation yeah. by marketing and the demand generation, yeah, marketing has a uh, an elevated role. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, but you talk about <laughs> you know you talk about complexity in the buying. You talk yeah. about complexity and the level of risk on the B two B side. How does that impact the way that you're thinking about it and this balance of these two worlds and and how that comes together in the marketing mix for a B two B marketer? Yeah. Well, I think this dives into. Another big difference, so to speak, between the approach marketing can have in B2B and B2C. So who owns the voice of the customer, right? Uh, who owns that, not only in terms of bringing up in meetings at the table, what the customer is saying, feeling, or complaining about, um, but ultimately who owns the function of it and whatever resources, methodologies, whatever, uh, how rich the information we can get from that, uh, that point of view. Um, I think any marketing and even salespeople here in this call, uh, you know, that can listen to us will empathize with the idea that many times, especially in B2B, you will be sitting at a table and the head of sales will say, yeah, just talk to so-and-so client or so-and-so prospect. And they're complaining about this. Uh, it's one, one anecdote, one conversation but from that standpoint, it just becomes a little bit of gospel and direction. Um, and that's not necessarily backed up by the data or representative or your customer set. Um, but that anecdote somehow takes a life of its own and then it becomes uh, you know, a directive. Uh, in better, more disciplined companies, 
this should be understood as one anecdote and something that we need to then validate through data and essentially really see you know what the what the customer need is or what the complaint or the, what the product feature we need to address and so on as opposed to just one anecdotal um, point of view can can impact the strategy so i think the voice of the customer is crucial to not only how you approach marketing but then in b2b environments is who owns that conversation i think that's um i, I think again that's a conversation that we need to align on all of us at the table but also um, that we need to define who owns that and why. I think in B2B environments, less so than B2C, um, marketing is a little bit weakened by that because not always are we the owners of um, the voice of the consumer, the voice of the customer. Yeah, you know, uh, the all the big analyst firms, right, talk about how CMOs need to be more chief customer officers. Yeah. And it's because they need to tap into in a deep way that that voice, right? And Correct. you could that voice is the highest authority in the company. Right. Then B2C is really good at that. Like, you know, the, you know, the customer is the boss, right? That was like that was a at one point a Procter and Gamble slogan. Correct. Um, like on Tide and things like that. But in the in the B2B world, there's no difference, right? The the customer, yeah. the buyer is the boss, right? So who's representing that? Who has that voice? And who has that voice if you're on and you're talking yeah. and you're, you know, getting the insights and in, in from the customers on a regular basis in marketing, guess what? You have really great input for product marketing, right? And insights, exactly. you have really great input for customer success, for sales, right? Because you see the thread, the line that runs through and like, hey, it's not just that one anecdote you're talking about, there is a commonality to what yeah. we're finding here, right? That means you are a valued service to every other department. Yeah. You know, that is a role that is underplayed. I think to, that's that's what I'm taking away from your conversation here. Well, it, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and this is fascinating to me because, so let's take the funnel, right? The proverbial funnel. Um, we sometimes imagine that because we can relatively see a customer or a client, a prospect walk or go through the funnel, we believe that it's a very linear process. Right. So in other words, let's say that we marketing and B2B, we generate and we are you know, very, very dedicated towards top of the funnel and then nurturing down uh, and then success or sales or onboarding starts you know, grabbing a mid funnel towards conversion and so on. We can, we can simplistically imagine that this is one single pathway, a linear pathway, and also one person that's going through this funnel. And so by the time, say, success or, or sales um, has that interaction midway through or closer to, to conversion, um, there is already an assumption that it is that person that we're talking about or that we're talking to has already single-handedly walked through the funnel, but they, there might be that this person is either the first or second interaction with our company or with our product or with our new feature or, or what have you. Um, so the simplicity of message and the consistency of message throughout the funnel becomes a lot more important than we give it credit for. Um, again, because um, you know, the expectations might be very different. Mm -hmm. There's two also additional differences there. There's a buying process and then there's a selling process. So somebody that's already 
if we're already in their consideration set, they're in a buying process and their expectations and knowledge of what they want, even if they're wrong, but what, what they think they want right. is one. And if we're doing a fully outbound effort and we're selling, there might be less knowledgeable. And so um, this is critical to understand. Like the example can be um, essentially that, you know, we present a certain expertise, our product presents a certain solution. And the client, whoever that buying person is, whether it's IT, procurement, the CMO of that, of mm -hmm. that company, whoever that is, they are expecting to speak with an expert. And they consider us expert in our product and in our market. But the salesperson or the customer success person might not be an, the expert. Uh, they're just doing their job. They're just a salesperson. And so the expectation, again, to delivery might be a little bit different. And so going back to the funnel and the idea of the funnel, you know, it's not necessarily always a very linear process. And so what we have to do from a marketing, from a customer experience perspective is be very clean, very simple, very succinct in the messaging that we deliver at every step. And that helps with consistency, that helps with our positioning, but that also helps address whatever expectation that um, that possible customer persona is coming to us with. Um, and I think that's not necessarily always understood. Um, we make the assumption, right? And as humans, we make assumptions all the time, but we make the assumption that that person already knows everything or has been exposed to all of our material. And, um, and we don't ask enough questions. And so I, th I think that, that curating, but that also dedication to consistent messaging is, is critical in, uh, in B2B. And, but again, it's not something that's always priority because of who owns that voice of the customer. Um, and I think it should be marketing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you make a really good point mm. here is that as marketers, we live with our message every day. We get yeah. tired of it. <laughs> I mean, yes, we, it's it's such a part of what we do. But with our buyers, it's such a small sliver of what they have to know mm -hmm. and consider Right. And so repetition, you know, from B2C marketing, right? You know, you do television flights at the, you know, three mm -hmm. plus frequency reach because you, then it needs repetition, repetition. There's no difference in that in the B2B buyer, right? Correct. You know, like you referenced the series that we do on why B2B CMOs fail so quickly. We're on part five. We're going to do over 10, maybe, maybe even 15. Yeah. It'll become an ebook and everything. But there's no one person that's going to consume all that, right? But right. maybe two, three over the course of six months, right? Mm -hmm. That's but that's gonna that's gonna resonate with them. Where if we said, oh geez, we're saying we're not saying the same thing, but we're the same message, you know, fifteen different times. Why would we do that? Yeah. Right? Well, it's because what you're talking about here, right? You know, we can't get you know tired of our own messages, right? Yeah. We have to be. And we have to keep learning so that there are different angles with the same message that we can bring to the marketplace, right? Correct. That, that seem unique and new. Um, but I'm dying to get to the point where I think this is one of the, the critical parts of our conversation here, okay. okay? And that was that you talk about that more emotion in B2B marketing and selling is needed than in B2C. And yeah. in the B2C world, 
And we're all about that, right? That's like, yeah. you know, it's part of the briefs that the agency writes and, you know, that, you know, goes into all of the content that's created and, and yeah. everything. But why is B2B in need of more emotion than B2C? Yeah. I think, I think part of it is if we index, so if we go to the beginning of, of the marketing discipline, there's performance, there's growth, and then there's brand, right? In B2B, there tends to be uh, a little bit more, um, we lean more toward the performance and the growth, which is, which is great. And it, and it responds to a lot of reasons. And there's a reason why, um, but because of that, brand takes a little bit of a backseat. I, I kid you not, I, I not, too, uh, not too long ago, had a conversation with a CFO. And of course it's a CFO, but the, the questions were like, how do we, what's the ROI on brand? Why should we necessarily dedicate or allocate these resources to brand um, if it's not gonna render as much, you know, as direct a result as, I don't know, some sort of campaign, some sort of, uh, you know, Google ad or what have you. So why should we pay attention to brand? Again, it starts at the top. I think a lot of uh, CEOs and founders need to understand or at least need to be open to the idea of why brand is important. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a data point that is interesting to me and I kind of keep it in the back of my mind. 21% of founders and CEOs understand and say that they want their brand to mean something and that the, and that the customer base is expecting to say something. 86% of customers expect the brands to mean something. So there's a disparity that's, that's enormous. Um, so again, from the top, there needs to be an understanding how brand is important. So now that we have back, go back to the T, performance and brand, I think brand is the nascent element of a lot of the content and a lot of the positioning that will help fuel growth, right? right. So, right. So, I, so I think brand needs to be as present, if not more. But one of the rationales that as to why brand in B2B environments can take a little bit of a backseat is because we think that it's all rational. Right. It's, a, it's a business need, it's pricing, it's integration. Right. A lot of it is just this logical approach to the usefulness and, and the merit of a product rather than the significance of its brand. Uh, and so uh, not too long ago, I, I believe earlier this year, Google put out a study and there is uh, B2B purchases are as emotional, if not more, than B2C um, purchases. Mm. And so when you say, you know, why is it, why do they need it more? I think they need it more because they never considered that we needed it as much as B2C. So in B2C, it was implied. With B2B, it was like, well, maybe. Right. And so now we're finding out that indeed, it's a very emotional purchase. And it's an emotional purchase is because I think one of the things that we often forget is that once we've establish the conversation for a possible sale of B2B, whether it's a SaaS solution, what have you, there's a lot of internal selling. So whether it's procurement, IT, whoever's going to be the primary user of that tool almost becomes a brand ambassador internally. So that person becomes really invested in yes. making sure that, that it's sold, that it comes through, that, we, that the people internally, whoever the CFO, whoever makes those, those bigger decisions uh, of buying, um, they believe in the product. So you become way more invested. The price point usually and the terms of it, 
the term sheet is longer term, right? It's a year, two years, three years. Uh, there's a bunch of seats. So all that's in, included in the term sheet just makes it a way higher investment than your more average B2C purchase and transaction. So for all those reasons, it actually becomes a way more invested um, transaction. And, and emotion takes a huge part. And going back to the beginning of our conversation, I think it's something that we tend to forget partially because we, and you, and you said it before, in a company, we tend to believe so much and tell, tell ourselves how great we are that yeah. we sometimes don't necessarily um, ne you know, feel the need to, to persuade um, potential customers as to why we're great. We already think we're great. So um, we appeal to the rational and, and to that list of features rather than the emotion. Uh, and I think that is a, one of the other big differences between B2C and B2B. And I think, you know, one of the things too, that is that a B2B purchase, there is the emotional risk of making the wrong decision, right? Because yeah. you're making big purchases and it has a potential to have a very big impact on the company. Yeah. If you're talking about the purchase of tennis shoes or a purse or, uh, you know, even a car, yeah. you know, I mean, that's not going to ruin your family, right? But your career could be on the line. You know, the, the whole adage, you know, nobody, you know, it's went fire. wrong buying IBM, right? Yeah. Kind of thing. So in terms of, because there's that higher kind of um, emotional risk mm -hmm. factor, how does that play then into how you market a B2B company and yeah. in how we learn from B2C, which pays attention to that every day? Yeah. So it goes back to, you know, if we consider marketing a team of performance and growth on one side and brand is, is, is that dedication to brand. And to me, that dedication to brand means um, are we understanding what position, what parcel do we play and do we own in this marketplace? And what's the story we're telling behind that? Hmm. Like, what, what, is, what is it that, you know, are we a commodity brand or why are we different? Is something we need to align on. Uh, we have to be self-critical from the top, from the CEO down. What is it that, you know, what are our strengths, weaknesses? What can we do better? Own those. And with that, developing the positioning and the value proposition to be unique and own that. And then the storytelling becomes, has to be embedded in each touch point. Mm -hmm. Again, I, I can't tell you, I've I, um, already too many to count. Uh, moments where I see an acquisition play or campaigns or messaging to the, to the outside world from a company. And then as you start traveling through the customer experience, through that welcome call, through that sales call, through that webinar, through that onboarding call, whatever that is, that initial promise is gone. That initial promise is, again, it's either assumed or it's just not part of the speech because we don't feel that we need, we need that. Um, but going back to emotion, you need to reaffirm and validate the purchase and then stay true to that positioning throughout, throughout, the, um, th throughout the user experience and the value chain. Uh, so I think that's something that it's a much more uh, dedicated uh, discipline within B2C than necessarily B2B. And before, before B2B... Um, fellow CMOs uh, kill me or, or you know, uh, it, this, this, this is not a rule necessarily, but because of the, how fragmented and how a little bit more complex it is in the B2B world, 
um, why it's often forgotten, right? But it's also a, a result of CEOs and founders. They are usually pressured um, both by ambition and possibly funding um, to go after scale, to grow, right? It's almost at, at all costs, right? Hard, hardcore. So um, I, I think that has to start at the top with the understanding of what brand means, what resources and, and dedication it needs to, uh, it, it merits, and then the impact of it. Uh, that's our job, to show the impact and the benefit that it could garner throughout the customer experience. You know, you said something in there that I want to ask you more on, which is you talked about because of the, the risk factors, the, the, the more complex emotional component to the B2B purchase, you talked about the validation process, right? Because, you know, that's the, that's the tire kicking on the B2C side, right? Yeah. But we as, as the company are the sellers, right? So our point of view is important and it's got to be unique right? And it, it's got to be interesting. But if it's not validated by the outside world, it's our word. It becomes super powerful if we are perceived as bringing the voice of the peer community of our you know, ICPs, the industry, the thought leaders together around, this is actually where the trend is going in the industry. This is what you know, if you're ICP, the more modern CFO or the more modern, you know, CTO or whoever your ICP is, is doing and why, yeah. right? And so that validation um, is really super important. And you brought it up there. And I just wanted to, that was, that's always been my takeaway on that. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that, you know, that part wasn't underrepresented in, in your point that you were making because validation is super important. Uh, it, it is. And it's funny that you say kick the tires because it, it immediately takes us right to a very familiar industry. Um, so it's easy to illustrate uh, the example, but so in the, in the car category, you have Volvo, Toyota, which are reliant, safe, then you have uh, Mercedes or you have like um, BMW that are more performance or luxury based. Right. Uh, but it's always been interesting to me, go, you know, go to the dealership and then um, in the dealership, especially for a really high, uh, you know, high price point, luxury performance based car or car brand, uh, it should equate that level of sexiness or that level of aspiration that you saw on the advertisement, right? So whatever you're trying to communicate, um, that has to be reaffirmed at every, at every touch point. Um, and, it's, and it's incredible that at times, in, even in those dealerships, you know, you'll walk back, when it's finally time to sign, you'll walk back to a small office that is very brightly lit, sort of like a dentist office. You know, the whole thing should be about, you just made a purchase to be feel sexy, drive faster, what have you, right? Which was the initial aspiration. And similarly, it should apply for the most part to that same process in B2B where at every touch point, you should be affirmating um, why they're buying, why they're making this decision, why are they here, why is this the better solution or the better, um, yeah, the better option in the marketplace, uh, and then stay consistent to that promise. Um, not necessarily, you know, um, from what bells and whistles, but at least from a messaging standpoint, it needs to stay consistent. Um, and oftentimes, because a B2B environment is much more fragmented, right? The voice of the customer who owns that 
could be more on the success side, sales, uh, sales takes a bigger seat. So, um, and it's just not to, you know, they have a tough job, um, but ownership of that process and and that consistency of message needs to be, I mean, it's why the figure of the CRO came about, right? At some point, there had to be somebody that made sure that to, to, to the degree that we can be integrated in that process. And yeah, so yeah. in comes the CRO figure. Well, Ellen, I want to make sure that I have time to ask you a last question. And yes, sir. the question is, you know, all of this that we're talking about, you know, marketing a lot is a function of the creation of content that is then shared. And right. I just wanted to ask your, your opinion on something and, and, and and I'm going to pin you to the wall in terms sure. of an answer here. Why? If I said on a scale of one to 10, how important is content to a B2B organization in terms of the overall growth and success of the company? One, it's not important at all. 10, it's actually vital to the overall growth and success of the company. Where would you put it on that rating scale and why? Because I'm pragmatic and I understand that there's context. So it's, you know, the life cycle of a company, et cetera, for a variety of reasons, I'll be, um, you know, I'll stay conservative on my, on my response, which would be an eight. Okay. Otherwise, all things equal, I would say a 10. I think content is, 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 is critical. Um, but depending on some things, it could be, uh, you know, uh, the quality of the product, the delivery, the reliability on it, and so on. All has um, to be important. Right. Um, right. But yeah, content is is essential, I think, in, in both the expression of the brand, but also in influencing the, um, the just the organization internally in the delivery of, of that value proposition. Um, so the way I see it is content, the adherence and dedication of a company to content becomes a muscle in the company, becomes a muscle internally in which everybody, every salesperson, copywriter, everybody within the company slowly starts developing that storytelling muscle. And it becomes then easier and more uh, of a commonality and a common practice to be consistent in our messaging. Um, you know, when you, when you meet different people, Make you know everybody should make this. You should do this exercise with any company that they transact with, uh, which is what is the value proposition. And then most of the time you'll you'll ask ten people and you'll get ten different answers. Uh, right. Rare is the company, um, but also amazing is the company that at least gives you a relative consistency on all ten um, on all ten responses, right? And that's because they have dedicated and they have made it a concern of theirs uh, to tell the same story, to, to, to say who they are, why they're here, why they're better. You know, I, um, I have never heard of it and I have spent my entire career in, in marketing. I love the analogy of kind of the muscle of content marketing, right? Yeah. And that it, this, this reflex that happens, like the more that the story is told, the better the story is told, the better that, yeah customer success is going to tell it, that sales is going to tell it, that marketing is going to keep retelling it, right? And yeah. here's the here's the visual that I got. I have a, a son in, it's called Krav Maga, it's defensive martial arts. And he says, dad, if I ever got into like a fight, you know, like somebody tried to attack me, she goes, yeah. all the things that I'm learning are just going to naturally happen, right? He's done it rep- with repetition so many times 
that he's got this muscle memory that will kick into gear. And I love that analogy of telling that story, telling it well internally, because we think about storytelling yeah. and content as an external, you know, really kind of like, you know, that's our job, right? But internal marketing and telling that story so that everyone is consistent and no matter whether it's on a webinar it's yeah. on a sales call it's and no matter where that touch point is happening on a white paper that storyline has to all go through there yeah. and the company has to develop its muscle memory in order to tell it and tell it well and tell it consistently so i interesting i love some of the analogies that you brought towards us here today you know and say, uh, let me let me um make one last point and give an example because so the figure oh that'd be great and it's interesting because we're going through this well maybe it'll end soon but there's a writer strike uh writer strike in hollywood and it's impacting mm -hmm. uh everything television streamers and so on um but you know are writers important or not? In a company and in a B2B company, uh, but all companies, you have uh, a copywriter or two or three or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but the figure of the copywriter is usually seen as part of the, just that, that machine within marketing. Uh, so my point around content is both, you know, to illustrate it is to both honor that role because that role is really integral in crafting uh, the voice, the tone, the messaging. Um, but it goes both ways. I've, I've um, often uh, in my career, when I, when I speak to or when I'm meeting with my creative teams, uh, it is not uncommon for me to call out, say, the copywriter or designer and ask them about the business. How are we doing on sales? How are we doing versus the competition and so on? It is just as important for me to, to know that they are at least you know, understanding of where we are on the business and not just on writing another blog post. Like it has to be a symbiotic relationship. And so if we do that correctly, then the role, the job and the product that the copywriter designers that the creative team puts out becomes a lot more impactful within internally in the, in the, in the company. And so I think, I think that's, um, yeah, I, th I think that's, that's critical to both honor and respect the discipline of marketing and the creative aspect, um, but also its impact within the company. It's a lot more than just put a lot, another blog post. And, and, and at times I'm afraid that, that it's looked at that way. And so I, I, I think it's, it's really more of a muscle. And, and if we pay attention to it, it really does embed something that a copywriter who knows how to write, who knows the right words can say Will, will deeply influence uh, your, your average um, sales executive, um, you know, and the way they speak to a, and they present the company. Um, so it, it does filter and, and sip through the whole company if you, if you honor that role and, and, and really pay its, uh, you know, give its due to, to content creation. Well, I, Polo, I, I know we could talk another couple hours here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But what I want to do is I want to um, make sure that if people had a follow-on question, um, is the best way to get hold of you on LinkedIn? So that'd be a good uh, yeah, um, through you, through LinkedIn. I'm uh, Polo Aristoy. I'm, I'm in Texas. And um, yeah, I love talking about this. It really is um, interesting to me because like, uh, you know, like the human condition, everybody does it a different way. Uh, so often, you know, figuring out why they do it a certain way is interesting. So this is, like you said, we can talk a few more hours on this. Uh, this is great. 
Well, thank you for coming on and sharing the highlights of the insights that you have. You have incredible background, right? You know, a, a Nielsen analyst, the B2C side, the B2B side. Um, so uh, thank you for thank sharing you. all that you did. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really want to um, thank you for, for the time and everybody that listens. Um, if I can ever be of help, let me know.